BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Listening to the latest Run and Plays podcast. I'm Kareth Burke, usually joined by Logan Murdoch, but we have a guest host today. It's Grant Liffman. How are you, Grant? Hi, Kareth. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, it's all of our podcasts. You know what I mean? The more, the merrier. Me and Logan have been holding it down for a while, but we, this is the first time we've had a guest host. So, really appreciate you stepping in here. Yeah, I'm excited. And uh, I think this is Logan's strategy. He's like, I just want people to know how good they have it when he's on. So he's like, we'll try out Grant for a little bit. Oh, that was terrible. I'm back. You know, it's a very smart move. Don't insult yourself. Come on. You know what? Um, As I was looking at the calendar, it's 4th of July weekend coming up, which is pretty awesome. And then right after that, the teams who are in the hunt for an NBA championship, the playoff teams are going to Orlando. It's, It's the staggered arrival. It's July 7th, 8th, and 9th. And there are more coronavirus positive cases popping up. Okay. I will let you know, like I woke up at 8am today. Pretty good. Uh, we're recording this podcast three hours later. Okay. Pretty good. In those three hours, here's what the news said. The Nuggets have closed their practice facility because of positive tests. The Nest Nets, the Nets reopened theirs after they had some positive tests and three Pelicans tested positive today. So just in the span of a morning, more positive coronavirus tests and things changing for teams. Um, DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan said he's going to opt out from going to Orlando. Spencer Dinwiddie is considering opting out. All this stuff feels like it's moving pretty fast against the date that is coming quickly, July 7th. What are you thinking right now? Well, I mean, first and foremost, the health and safety of these guys is, I can't stress enough, a paramount. So, you know, the, I, I want to see basketball back so badly. I'm so excited to watch it, but not at the expense of somebody's health. So if it really does, and Adam Silver has said that he's willing to stop the league if it gets too crazy. I think people don't worry about these athletes because they look at the statistics and they look at what's been happening. They see people of their age range and their athletic and physical shape that they're in shouldn't be at risk of dying. That's what the way people look at it. So they go, oh, you know, let them get it, whatever, and then they'll get better. Well, it, it, it's all fun and games until someone gets really sick. And then it's not so like much, oh, huh, you know, that person, oh my goodness, they're in the ICU right now. So that has to be number one concern. That's number one, right? From there, I mean, you'd hope that by the amount of time they've taken to really create this bubble that they really, really nailed it down that they think that they, they got it under control because Florida is just, it's exploding there. It's just, it's unbelievably spreading. And at some point you start wondering how 
good of this business bubble actually. And the big concern, Kareth, the big concern is not, I mean, some people are worried that the players are still going to break protocol and get out of their places, but it's more the employees that have to go in and out. They're not constricted to a bubble because they have a life as they should. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where you start worrying. If just one player gets effect, uh, infected, it, it spreads like wildfire because these guys are all over each other when they're playing basketball and just all the amount of action that they have. If it infiltrates that bubble, it could go quickly. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of unknowns about coronavirus right now. That The cases range from mild to severe, the ones that need hospital, hospitalization. Um, and you just don't know who is going to fall on that range. Who's going to experience the mild things? Who's going to experience the severe things? And that's scary. Like I remember reading a few days ago, um, the NBA released some of their, their testing results. It was something like, I just want to make sure I have the numbers right. 16 out of 302 people tested, players that is in the NBA tested positive. 16, great, that feels like a small number. It's about 5%. And then you also have um, the three Pelicans and then Jordan and Dinwiddie. So let's say we know right now about 21 positive cases. That's more than a whole team. Um, and how do you know who's going to experience what kind of symptoms? So for me, there's just like this, uh, this caution of like, is this worth it? I mean, this is, it's, it's pretty scary. And we did talk about this before in an earlier episode of the podcast that, you know, having coronavirus is very unlikely a death sentence. You know, like people are recovering, those recovering stories are coming out. But when we still don't know the long-term effects of this, um, did you see the story about Rudy Gobert saying that he still does not have his sense of smell up to 100%? And he was diagnosed in, in March. He got the positive test in March. He was the whole, he was the first player to have this reportedly in the NBA. And he's still dealing with effects. Maybe somebody would say, oh, well, it's a sense of smell. He's not dead. But to him, that's pretty important. So what are the long-term consequences of this stuff? Thankfully, players in the NBA are young. They are healthy. But you don't know what's going to happen going forward. There are also um, coaches who are older. There are also people on the staff who are older. So there's just a whole range of people that you need to be concerned about. I do believe the NBA is going forward with that concern at its heart. But you mentioned Adam Silver, um, who had some new comments today. He was speaking at a Time 100 talk, um, and an AP writer named Tim Reynolds was listening in on this talk. Um, so Silver reiterated, if we have a lot of cases, we're going to stop. And Silver, during this talk, said he will not be in the bubble the whole time. That's interesting. So that's not um, a bubble then. Right. So, and maybe, listen, again, let me approach this with the most grace I can and the benefit of the doubt. Maybe Adam Silver will start there and then leave and not come back. Maybe True. he can't be there because he has a health issue or family members with a health issue. But would you agree that the optics of this, he, he gets to come and go back and forth or, you know, start there and, but not end there when players have to stay there Interesting. The commissioner's not doing the same. Okay. I think there's going to be some discussion about that. I totally understand the optics of it. I guess, technically speaking, he, unlike the players, can be wearing a mask the whole time. He can socially distance. Mm -hmm. You know, he's able to do these things the players aren't able to do. One thing you did mention there, the coaches, right? The training staff. Forget for a second that there's a lot of people that probably are, you know, susceptible and older generation of coaches. Just the fact that we're just gauging things based on the percentage of players 
mm-hmm. that gets sick, right? Now, out of all people, these are the people that probably are, as you were saying, the young, uh, the healthiest. They also have the most money, most likely, so they're able to deal with health effects that go on further and the health insurance they get through the league. Think about all the young coaches, the young training staff, and all these guys. What if 100% of them get it? If that's not considered part of the shutdown, if it's like, well, only 10% of the players, we've, we've kept the players away from those guys. You know, that's the stuff that you have to start worrying about is that the NBA is a lot more than just the players. Yes. And, and, that's, and that's all we're focusing on right now. And because they're the ones that are highlighted. But think, keep this in mind. Players have the ability to opt out, right? And not come back. They're the ones deciding whether or not this league gets played. Does the training staff get a chance to opt out? Do they keep their jobs if they say, you know what? feel comfortable doing this do they keep their jobs are they you know do they have do they make enough money that they can just skip this so the point is is that it's a lot more complicated than just the players and it's horrible to say but we'll see (laughs) we'll see that doesn't feel like a great thing to do when it comes to science (laughs) and health um but you're right and and is this really a choice for everyone involved um, and I, I do give Adam Silver credit for saying if we have too many cases, we will stop. What is too many cases? Because he was talking about significant spread. Like if coronavirus comes to this bubble in Orlando, what happens? Um, I have so many questions off of that. What does he consider significant? Would 21 players right now, and they're not in the bubble yet, is that significant? Um, who's making that decision? Is it the NBA or health officials? Are they doing that in tandem? Um, the NBA, I got to say, cynically is a business with health and, uh, sorry, with money and wins as part of their decision-making. Um, and then I also feel like we're going to see a difference in who matters among that's, players. Can we, can we talk exactly. about this? Like, if there's like the six yeah, man on the Kings who's infected versus LeBron James, ah, that's going to be a big difference. That's going to be a completely different story, but shouldn't everybody count the same? Yes, because every person's individual health for something that they could potentially avoid by not going to a bubble in the first place, everybody should matter equally, but they're not going to, are they? No. The only thing that'll change, I mean, if, God forbid, it breaks out and or LeBron James and these guys get sick and have to miss significant time, um, I mean, the asterisk talk will, you know, that'll just explode as well, you know, and I, I, I personally do not believe in it. I, I do not believe in it. Tom Haverstrow did a fantastic article breaking down every single year by year of how there, everything's context. You don't look at something in a pie and be like, you know what, this was just, this percentage went to this guy. No, you just say this year, this was the context of it. The Raptors won the title. They don't get an asterisk on their, their title. But I agree you look at it in context and say, could it have gone differently if this injury didn't happen? Sure. Guess who won? Blank. So it's the same in this situation. However, would they shut down? If people, I mean, it's just, you mentioned money, right? If the product gets hurt so much that fans stop watching because a LeBron gets sick, then they might have to change something. But if fans and the money is flowing in just as much, if LeBron's not playing, it's so confusing. Again, it's going to be, have to be a we'll see. And going back to something you said, you know, you said the long-term effects. Have you seen these pictures of lungs after COVID? The no, lung, I haven't. The, 
They've been going. Not the pictures. Twitter. I mean, I'm trying to yeah. read everything I can, but no, I haven't seen the pictures. Oh, you see something? I don't know if these are real, but they show. I need to look in and just fact check. But these going around on Twitter all the time about uh, what lungs look like for some of these people after they go through ICU and all like the near death people uh, for coronavirus or people that have died. It's it's disturbing pictures. So I, I if those are true too, it's 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 a scary situation. <laughs> I am certain the NBA is taking this as seriously as possible. And with that said, I hope it's enough. And I don't know. You know, like all of this, the risk assessment personally makes me extremely nervous. And I hope it's not sacrificial to try to just crown a champion this league at the expense of people's health. The whole thing just has me like, it's just giving me the heebie-jeebies. I really hope the best thing happens and everybody is okay. But man, um, I'm, I'm very nervous for the players going to Orlando. And I guess Adam Silver's argument, well, part of the argument was because of how seriously they're taking this, um, he said, we ultimately believe it will be safer on our campus than off of it. Okay, if that's the guiding principle, that's good. They have all of the health resources at their disposal. I'm just wondering how much of a bubble is it really? And then when you hear the stories about players convening for their individual training camps with their teams in their certain cities, even before they go to Orlando, and being in close quarters and breathing on each other and sweating on each other, that that is making these positive taste, uh, cases pop up. Should even one player be sick in Orlando, it can spread very quickly. So there's just, yeah. I hope, knowing how seriously the NBA is taking this, that later on down the road, because we don't know what's going to happen yet, that these actions now are not some sort of mark on the league, like a stain on the league in the future. I totally understand what you're saying. And again, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's going to be one of those hindsight type things when you look back. Um, but, you know, also keep in mind, we also don't know the level of basketball. By having these guys coming back, I mean, again, God forbid injuries start happening because this is so out of the routine. These guys are built on routine. And now keep in mind, everyone's like, oh, well, don't worry. LeBron's been practicing this whole time. Well, how about all the players that don't have access to a gym that have been in California that have just been not shooting? They're mm -hmm. members of the Warriors right now, and they know, they know they weren't coming back for a little bit. There's members of the Warriors who have not shot a basketball in three months right now. Can you imagine if they, let's say it was two months ago, or a month ago, and they're like, no, you're actually playing. You, they'd be like, oh, okay, got to start shooting a basketball again. So <laughs> it's those type of things you start worrying about. And what if a LeBron James gets sick and has to miss two weeks when he comes back? Has he been working out playing those two weeks? When he comes back, does, does he have to get back into shape? There are just so many different factors that you have to consider. And the one question I have for you, Kara, is how much different would our mindset be right now if the Warriors were contending for a title right now. And that's the part that Warriors fans have are very strongly opinionated. And I love it. I, they, they really are loud and vocal on social media. And, you know, a lot of them are, you know, really. You're being so nice right now. Uh, really <laughs> upset. Fans with are the awesome. League. They're loud on social. They will let you know. Yes. Yes. They are, you know, very opinionated saying they shouldn't be playing this or doing this. I just wonder if the Warriors were competing for a title right now, let's say Kevin Durant was still on the team, maybe this was last season for Kevin Durant, right? Can you imagine the different perspective that people would have a little bit? So it's just, it's keeping perspective in mind for why Lakers fans or LeBron's camp wants to play so badly versus the Brooklyn Nets 
who are in a playoff spot right now and their whole team is going to sit pretty much. So it's like, it just, you know, perspective matters. Perspective matters. So as all these teams prepare to get ready to go to Orlando, there's also a really important backdrop happening in our country. It's the social movement, the Black Lives Matter right now, addressing police brutality, addressing racism. Um, some of the players said, you know, should we even play with all this stuff going on? Others think this is the perfect platform to keep the messages coming. Um, and one of the things that the NBA is going to do is put Black Lives Matter um, on the baseline and sideline and center court. Is that right? It, it, I know they're going to use messaging in those uh, spots, but I th th that's, I think, where they're looking at. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There you go. And then um, maybe some jersey personalization. So players could put somebody else's name, like Breonna Taylor, on their jersey. They could do social causes. They could do a charity name. Spencer Dinwiddie said he was thinking about putting the word trillion on the back of his jersey. Did you read this? He tweeted something about I this. Did trillion um to address um the usa's debt crisis right now and like financial right. empowerment so lots of ideas floating out there um the jersey one has not been approved yet by the nba they're still kicking that one around um when it comes to the baseline stuff i think it's going to be very powerful to see that on a screen you cannot ignore words that bold you have to see it which is sort of what this conversation is about like getting out of a comfort zone not being able to ignore things um, and understanding and empathizing with the players that you watch, maybe some of the things that they go through. Black Lives Matter. Um, the other side of this for me is that sideline, baseline, on the basket, you know, wherever. There have been so many advertisements jam-packed into an NBA broadcast that if these messages are there as well, I hope they don't become as ignorable as the ads like i feel like i don't even see the ads anymore i'm just so accustomed to them you know my eye is just like whatever it doesn't even register so i want the power of these messages to stay i don't want it to be like co-opted or diluted or ignorable um if they're if they're on the court like that i wonder i, I don't i'm really having a hard yeah. time with a lot of things grant <laughs> It's really, I think a lot of people are. Them. For sure. It's very powerful to see them. I hope the power is there. Um, I, I worry it's going to be diluted, to be honest. And that's what do. That's completely understandable and actually very logical. I, I, your eye just becomes accustomed to things. So maybe they can change the coloring. And like, I know that sounds silly and, and you know, minimal at this point, but it's true. Like your eye just becomes accustomed to things, right? Yeah. Um, I think so. I put an article out there yesterday saying if they do the jersey names, that uh, one way to do it is all the players come together and honor uh, many different victims of police brutality and put the last name of those player, uh, those people on their jersey. Um, a lot of black women, uh, trans people, other people that have been, you know, not really publicized about their deaths as much. And the reason I said that, and and some would say, well, again, you just become accustomed to it, you just see the name on it, whatever but it's up to the television broadcast and the way they approach this to it's the way they highlight things, right? If they take a profile of each of these victims, every time LeBron has Taylor on his back and he, and he says something, you know, they can show a profile of these people. You can inform, you can bring awareness and they can do the same thing with the baselines and the center court is, is highlight it during the show. So it doesn't let you forget. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it. And, as long as television broadcasters, the NBA, the players themselves 
are doing everything in their power to raise awareness and to bring attention to all of it, then I don't think we will, you know, yeah. ignore stuff. But um, you'd hope for the casual fan, you know, you and I watch all the basketball games, right? But there's a lot of people oh. that don't watch every single one. I cannot wait for Wizards Suns. But um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that do not watch all basketball games and they're just going to see sports center they're going to see whatever and they're just going to see black lives matter right there and i think it's going to catch their eye mm -hmm. with sensitivity with care with trust i think you're right broadcasters can be um an asset to help with this mm -hmm. of course i'm a broadcaster of course i'm saying this and maybe it's not for me to determine what's powerful or not um and who these messages are for but i do like your ideas your idea for the um the jerseys would it be one team wearing the same name of a person or each individual like each person on the team has a different right. name because there are so many yeah. names. that's exactly it sorry yeah I, I i really like the idea of each player having their own name and mm -hmm. part of it what i was writing was some may find it hard to believe that a whole NBA league could have enough names to fill up the jerseys, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. That could, you know, you can go unlimited. You can switch the names every game and be still be able to, and that's how sickening this whole situation is. So yeah, I, I, I think you put it on every single player. And so hopefully even if that eighth man, that ninth man has that big game, then we get to see that name on the back. If, Pat Connaughton of the Milwaukee Bucks has a big game where he drops 20 points and goes, whoa, the Pat Connaughton game. Well, we get to know on his back was this name and you yeah. get to find out about that name. So I, yeah. I do, I think think those things can be important. All right. So we're talking about this gearing up to Orlando, but where does that leave the Warriors? They have 15 wins this season. They will not be playing for the playoffs. They are not going to Orlando. Um, there was this idea from Sam Amick. He heard from some people in the league about maybe having a second campus for the eight teams. He's calling them the, the delete eight. <laughs> so really good. Yeah, the team's not in the running, but the idea that maybe you put them elsewhere where they can compete against other teams, um, they can have, so it's real competition, maybe even televise those teams. Um, the Delete Eight, that is not official yet. Um, I think the Warriors, you know, when we talked to Steve Kerr, when we talked to Jaron Collins, they definitely support some kind of way to get the team together, to get um, run up and down the court together, just for team chemistry. They've had so many new pieces. Steph Curry is healthy now. Uh, Clay Thompson is getting there. He's almost at his one-year anniversary of surgery, actually. So he had yeah. uh, ACL surgery on July 2nd. So that's coming up in a few days. One-year recovery. Good man. And now he's going to get a lot of extra time, which can only be good for his rest, for his legs. Um, I wonder where he's at mentally. It's got to be really hard not to play right now, especially when you add an injury on top of that. Yeah. I mean, Clay Thompson, I mean, he's just such a unique person. I don't know where he is mentally at any point. He could be. I was just going to say, <laughs> if I could pick any player, any player's life to live for one day, just to be in his head and to think his thoughts and just right. to see how he views the world, it would be Clay Thompson hands. Down. Well, that, that's even Steve Kerr said that he just, he just, it's just, he's just such unique. He's an enigma that I can't even. So I would like to predict what he's thinking and everything. I just know he wants to play basketball. That is one thing <laughs> that I know for sure. Um, for the Warriors, Steve Kerr said before that he's not into the idea of doing these, you know, inter uh, team, inter squad uh, competitions, just because it's just unnecessary in terms of COVID and all that's happening. Yeah. You want to bring more people together. Exactly. In the exactly. Second bubble and the first bubble is not like, I don't it know. It seems yeah. like something that they can avoid right now without doing that. Um, yeah. I personally think it'd be great for them to play uh, 
intra-squad games, right? Intra versus inter-squad, whatever, where their own team plays against each other. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. I know you can only do that so much, but scrimmages do matter. And throughout the whole season, I mean, that's what's happening. They try to get some scrimmages in. So it's not like you have to play other teams. Um, would it be fun TV? Sure, it'd be fun TV. But maybe, I would, let me ask you this, Kareth. Would you watch a, a, a game of Team A versus Team B of the Warriors playing against each other? I would yes. love to watch Clay Thompson play against Steph Curry. That'd be incredible. So that's yes. some good TV right there. I am so hungry for basketball. I would watch that. I would watch that five on five. And you know what? The old, uh, the old like film study where you have a camcorder at the top of some pictures <laughs> yeah. and you just like pan it like this back and forth. Doesn't even have to be an HD. Put that in SD yeah. and I will watch that practice. Oh, yeah. yes. It's like the last dance anytime Michael Jordan stuff. It's, it, he's like one of the few players that I'll just be like, oh, we got some more practice court footage. Here we go. Yeah. It's yes. like a camcorder. Yes, wow. all you really need is the audio, basically. It, you can pan, but like three seconds behind the plays. Like somebody yeah. made the basket and you missed it and they're running past you. Right. <laughs> but yes, yeah. just let me hear what's going on and that would be enough. Everything I've heard, by the way, about these scrimmages is players just, you know, when you're in a scrimmage, you can kind of, who cares, who doesn't, like who, who really plays hard. And all everyone yeah. I've talked to, whether on the Warriors staff or the players, they just say, Steph Curry is so above and beyond everyone else when they play it's like uncomfortable, like how good he is. Like they just play against it. And I've heard coaching staff, you know, they have to hop in every now and then if there's not enough health, healthy players or not enough available. Wow. And they say the level he's at is just so absurd that I just, I, fans should just get a chance to watch Steph Curry just do his thing where he's extra comfortable in scrimmage. How serious does Steph take a scrimmage? Is he playing at 100%, would you guess? No. I, but I do think there's almost a different level where he gets, you know how he's, when he's at his best in competition, he starts dancing on people and he gets yes. fun. Like, is there a better place to have fun than just in scrimmage? Right. So, yeah. I mean, I think unless there's something on the line where besides pride, maybe, maybe Clay's talking so much trash and Draymond's really getting after him that he really has to turn it on. But otherwise he just gets to dance and have fun and well, turnovers don't matter as much. No. They say that the way that you practice, though, is the way that you play. So you've got to take it seriously every step of the way. That work ethic doesn't surprise me about Steph. True. Exactly. And honestly, I, I, he's like one of the last people on earth I'd ever worry about being ready mentally because he's just so mentally happy and, and great with who he is and his life. And I mean, talk about another person I'd live a day in life of just being mentally just content like Steph Curry is would be a fantastic thing. All right, we've been talking about how the Warriors are not going to Orlando. Uh, yep. But there were plenty of positives this season. Honestly, all season we got to talk about this. All season we got to see how guys developed, that they had the right attitudes, they were trying to have the right habits to go back to being contenders next season. So let's talk about some of those positives. Um, right away, the rookie class stands out to me, especially Eric Paschal. Not a diss on Jordan Poole. I just think it took him a little longer, which is normal for a rookie. But Eric Paschal came in after four years of Villanova. I think he was a little bit older, maybe more mature. Um, came up through a great program with, uh, with Jay Wright and showed that he can really compete right away in the NBA. Yeah, well, just about the Jordan Poole part. The unfair expectations that are put on a guy that's the 28th pick overall and is 20 years old. Like, mm -hmm. come on, what do you expect this guy to be? Like an all-star immediately? Give him some time. Maybe he can turn into a rotational player. I, I love Jordan Poole. I actually, I, I do think he has a lot of potential and I think he really can put it together. 
Um, he struggled so early on, everyone just gave up on him. And you're like, everyone is a 20 year old on a really bad team who probably wouldn't be playing right now if they were a good team. And he was a 28 right, pick overall. Playing way more minutes, having yeah. to somehow like step in for Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. <laughs> All those be. guys. Yeah, which is going to be impossible. And didn't really have a chance to get his feet under him in a very daunting situation. Your rookie season in the NBA. And despite that, toward the end of the year. So in February and March, like after the All-Star break, we saw him taking on more ball handling duties. Mm -hmm. We saw him taking better shots. Like he was getting it. You know, his learning curve might have seemed like it was long. But for a rookie, I think he was right on schedule. I mean, back in the day, like 20 year old, you have to wait three seasons before they're even a contributor. And again, this is the 28th pick overall. You at that slot, you're hoping you get a really nice rotation bench piece at that point. You're not saying, Ooh, 28th overall, which all-star can I take right now? No. That, <laughs> so like people just need to hesitate on their, you know, just slow down. But you mentioned Eric Pascal. I mean, now, I guess, uh, at the, uh, now that I've said all that, now we're going into the 41st pick overall, and we're like, oh, yeah, and this guy's going to be an all-star. No, Eric Pascal is fantastic, and he's going to be such a big piece next season. He really is. And it's going to be a learning curve for him when he's not a featured player. Can he come in there and just pick his times to dominate and just know? And he seems like he has the right mental space about it, but you know, it's easier said than done to go out there when you feel like, oh, wow, I really can just take over right now. Well, that's not going to be your job next season. So defense, can he, can he uh, mold with Draymond out there? Can he play alongside Steph and Clay? That's the big questions for Eric Paschal. But Kareth, I'll just say this. When you're talking about the positives of this season, the Warriors had a terrible season, just, just awful season, right? Yeah. But having said that, I don't know how many seasons in the NBA have happened where you more positives and just more even just fun games have happened for a team that was so bad. Like I legitimately enjoyed watching a lot of the games this season. And I think a lot of it just has to do with their effort. I think the guys just really tried. And I know that sounds so stupid and simple and like, of course they tried, but I mean, sometimes when you're a really bad team, you, you get out of your system. You try to – one guy tries to go one-on-one and jacking up shots, and they start, start stop trying on defense. These guys try. They're in a lot of good games, and then they just kind of blew it late. But, I mean, for a positives for a season, just Eric Paschal, all the other things we're going to talk about, fun games. All things considered, it was better than the 14 other crappy years the Warriors had before now, you know, all those ones. When I would go listen behind the bench or when I would just be around that area, even in the worst of times, I didn't see guys yelling at each other. I didn't see them fractured. I didn't see them. Um, I didn't see a lot of anger. I saw a lot of frustration, but it wasn't at each other. There wasn't bickering, like no finger pointing. It was like, shoot, we want to be better on the court. I saw a lot of interaction with the player development coaches. I saw a lot of communication. And then coming off the floor after the stinkiest of the stinky losses, again, there was none of that bickering in the hallway. You know, lesser teams, I think, without a lot of guidance, especially for a young team, too, because they need to find the models of how to behave in bad times. Um, or they need to be the good people themselves. They need to lead each other, I suppose. This was a good group of people. And as best as they could when the product on the floor was rough, just because their roster simply doesn't have the same amount of talent as others, 
um, they still kept it together and they still played with effort. And players like Kai Bowman, he's got some flash. Marquise Chris, mm -hmm. he's got some flash. And this kind of going through the fire season where it stunk, but you got a lot of minutes and you played those games and you played hard, you had a chance to study your opponent, that can only help for next season. Yeah, and now I talked about context earlier. If Steph Curry, Clay Thompson aren't coming back next season, we probably have a different outlook about this season. You know, it's easy to be optimistic and say glass half full when you know the next season they have the ability to go from the worst team in the league to potentially a title contender. So yeah. that optimism and that knowing what's down the road yeah. definitely helps. So I'm going to pause the breaks before I say like, oh, what a great season, you know, glass half full, everything's great. But as you were saying, there was fun guys. Marquise Chris, you mentioned. So Kai Bowman, unproven, but I, I, again, I actually really like Kai Bowman. The guy plays defense. He just needs to learn to play the point guard position more because he's a scorer. He's a natural scorer. But when you're backing up Steph, you don't, you don't necessarily need to be that. But Marquise Chris, we, I remember when he signed to be a training camp invite. And it was towards just before training camp was starting. And even at media day, he showed up and we're like, oh, did you actually sign? Like, you just walked by in his jersey. and like, oh, that's cool. Cool. Marquise Chris is here. I, all I knew of him was watching him just have a bad attitude and be a bust for a 19-year-old, again, for a high draft pick at UW. And I was like, I mean, cool. They signed a guy that has no roster spot, has no place on the team. They need a wing anyway, so whatever. To go from that to where he is now is potentially the starting center this next season. I'll put it this way. When they're, they have one of the top picks in the draft, right? And they're right. Legit, I heard about that. They have, they have legit question marks of whether this guy at the top pick of the draft would beat out Marquise Chris for that starting center spot if he is more talented than Marquise Chris. That's how impressive Marquise was. Yep. Am I saying he's a perfect player? By no means am I saying that. But what, like, what a – diamond in the rough they found like they they took what a guy was supposed to be and actually turned him into that right so I think it, you're talking about positives they might have found the starting center for their team next season off a training camp invite so yeah. that's positive yeah Marquise Chris is coachable as well and he's made the most of this environment so credit to him if you felt like he had to revive his NBA career or if he was just sort of waiting for the right opportunity well, God smiled on this guy because he's making the most of his opportunity now. Um, are there other players you want to touch on? Because I actually have something to say about Bob and Steve, I think, that will go into next season. I have one more player. And also, by yeah. the way, you know how I said about the bad attitude about Marquise? What you just said is completely right. Like, I could not have been my, – my mindset on a guy and his attitude and the way he looks at the game and his effort, I mean – either the guy just matured to a level that I can't even comprehend between last year and this year, or it just, his rep wasn't, his rap wasn't as bad as, you know, it was made it out to be because he's mm -hmm. great. I, mm -hmm. Marquise Chris is fantastic. Yeah. All but, of my interactions with him have been really, really awesome. Nice. Like he's yeah. got a sense of humor. He's got a good perspective because there were times during the season that if he wanted to take the bait with some questions, he could have mm -hmm. bad mouthed the Warriors he did not. He could have badmouthed other people. He did not. I, I find him to be a mature individual. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, still very young. Uh, Damian Lee is the one other guy I want to bring up because yeah. 
I, I've been a fan of this guy's game for a few years. What he's battled back from multiple surgeries, both knees, ACLs, everything he's gone through. And to be not an established player at his age and to still be fighting for a spot. And I want to make this clear again, and I've talked to you about this. He's no, he was never on the team because Steph Curry said, I want this guy on the team. That has never been the case with him. Um, maybe early on there was a connection about them and everyone's like, oh, it'd be interesting to see if he was on the team. But that was it. And that was years ago, right? He's on the team because he deserves it. And he played so well this season. And for a role that he's not meant to be in, he was not supposed to be the guy chucking up shots and doing all this stuff. Instead, he's supposed to be a guy that plays his role and plays it well and doesn't complain, and he does everything you need to do to win. He brings energy. He's great in the locker room. Everyone loves him. He doesn't – he's just – he's the perfect type of player for what they need going forward. And for the Warriors' sake, they're excited because he's inexpensive. If you look at him compared, they, they can't have a bunch of high-priced uh, guys. So, I mean, for a guy to be so gracious and go onto the team and just be excited to play next season and fill a role they need, again – what an awesome <laughs> you've got a non-guaranteed guy again him and marquise chris both non-guaranteed guys gonna have big roles next season it, it, yeah. and then a second round pick we mentioned eric pascal and he's gonna have a bet you're about to go bob and steve but like they deserve a lot of credit well damian lee i mean he played so well last season he forced the warriors hands this season they can't keep putting him on the shelf they can't keep asking him to be a g-league guy when he's earned everything he has i'm so happy to see him get that contract with the Warriors. He has paid his dues injury wise or doing that work in the G League and showing his worth for the Warriors. So I definitely agree with you too. The Warriors have a great collection of people right now. You want to cover a team where you enjoy the people and they have that. There's no, uh, what's the word, malcontents, discontents or whatever yeah. in, the, in the locker room. So they have a good thing going on that they can only build on for next season. There's one more thing that I think a, a very big positive that comes out of this year that would not have happened if the record wasn't so bad this year. 15 wins. It made the Warriors from top to bottom examine their processes, their processes, if you will. Uh, because winning, and this was a dynasty, of course, is like the spackle over any problems. You assume when you're winning at this rate, when you're setting records with 73 regular season wins, oh, you're doing everything as best as you can. Everything is, you know, as good as it is, and that's why you're winning. You can look back, you can kind of reverse that view and say, well, what can we do to get even better? And those are the things that Bob Myers and Steve Kerr were talking about together. Um, they did their conference calls this summer, and it's like, we have to examine, because the season was so poor, if there's anything we could have done to make this a little bit better, if it wasn't just, you know, the circumstance, injuries, talent, guys growing, was there anything in our process that we can improve? And that kind of examination, that kind of accountability could only make a team better for next season. You know, Bob says it starts with, with him, Steve Curses, he's going to examine things like top to bottom. They didn't specify what processes they were going to examine, but just that they were heartfelt in doing it, which, which I understand. Um, because I, I think back, like, this was Steve Kerr's first head coaching job. This was Bob Meyer's first general manager job. I mean, he was an assistant GM, um, but he thought he would have more time to learn, and then boom, he's the GM. So these guys, they had to take their experience and really hone it for this type of job. 
um, and what can they do to get even better? And I think that kind of assessment and even acknowledging it publicly that this needs to happen is a sign of the leadership the Warriors have. Completely agree. Just every, I, I think there have been, and Bob, it's tricky to talk about a general manager or the head of ops because, you know, it's like either drafting by a certain style versus not, or did they want somebody else and it just fell to them. So it's kind of hard to analyze them perfectly about like, what are they doing differently in, in his situation? But Steve, it's, it's, it gets very apparent because you can see at least on the outside, what plays he's running, the way he's doing it, the, the way he's, you know, going about his team. And for him, there have been, you know, we're going to bring up Warriors Twitter again. And there's some complaints out there that he's a very stubborn coach. He, he likes his style. Stubborn. Yeah, that he can be a stubborn and that he, he wants to, no matter what, he, he likes this ball movement. He's not going to run endless pick and rolls for Steph Curry. He's not going to just have the ball in Steph's hands. He has his system and it's worked and it's worked and it's worked. And by the way, it's worked. Just going to throw that out there. So <laughs> I wonder why he was stubborn. But this is probably, not going to say, and this is a glass half full perspective maybe one of the better things that could have happened for his head coaching career is to have this moment of reflection of a bad season to be like all right now let's look at what I've been doing and I can break out of what I had been doing and see and analyze based on my roster based on what I have if I need to adjust my strategy right and mm -hmm. you may see Steph Curry get the ball in his hands a little bit more this next season depending on who's on the team Giannis is on the team. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, Can we not? not Can we not? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. By the way, the title of this pod, pod all of a sudden now is, is Giannis going to be on the team next season? Um, just kidding. Just kidding. So, Seth Curry, the ball might be in his hands a little bit more. There's different strategies that can be employed by Steve Kerr and change things up a little bit. He had a reluctance in the past to rely on young players at certain key moments. A lot of the great coaches do. You want your vets out there, right? Um, you had moments where Jordan Bell stepped up or Pat McCaw stepped up, et cetera. And you kind of just, you know, you're like, wow, Steve Kerr is really letting these guys go. He has a very young team potentially next season. So it's stuff like that. As you said, introspective, really thinking about what do I need to do to make my team better rather than how does this team fit my strategy? It's about, you know, it's, it's a culmination of all the different parts coming together and, and putting a perfect symphony together. Yeah, a perfect symphony. That was very musical. Yeah. And I, I like looking at who Steve Kerr has around him on his coaching staff as well. He doesn't yeah. run the staff like a dictatorship. He wants to hear input. He wants to know if somebody else has a different perspective about how to do this right. And I think, didn't he credit one of the video guys once? I mean, he will Back give credit. Back in the day, it was Nick Uren. Nick Uren, who's now in the front office, they, he said he gave him credit for the Iguodala The Andre Iguodala thing. Oh, I think it was Jaron Collins, actually, who shouted out Jacob Rubin, a video guy, for an idea. So, so it is a collaboration. It's not, I am on the top, and you underlings, you know your role. I mean, I think that's why um, Ron Adams, you know, came to join this coaching staff. Steve Kerr needed an assistant like him, especially a defensive-minded one, to help guide him through those first years so I look at all of the input that Steve gets from different places and the way that he values different perspectives uh, which tells me Steve's got a good head on his shoulders maybe he's not so stubborn after all <laughs> no I mean being stubborn is not necessarily a bad thing it depends on what you're stubborn about and if you're winning and you're stubborn about keeping that winning I don't think that's such a bad stubborn also um about the coaching staff 
everything said absolutely correct. If you look through the years, there's been shifts in the coaching staff. Alvin Gentry was the associate head coach, then Luke Walton, and now Mike Brown. There's been shifting around movement of guys going to different places, right? Yeah. Well, I was just saying, like, where are those guys now, by the way? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, all head coaching. So here's the question for you. Do you think the coaching staff comes back primarily of what it was this last season? Because Steve is also a guy that likes to see other coaches jump to the next level or get a nice job or, you know, and try to keep things fresh for the players as well, the voices they're hearing. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some coaching staff changes this season. And it's not because they were bad last season. It's not like he's punishing guys. It's just, it's a way to keep things fresh and hopefully fresh for those coaches as well to succeed in other organizations as well. So I'm not saying this is absolutely going to happen, but it wouldn't be surprising to see some movement in that way. No, I agree. I like your instincts. I mean, last season we saw Willie Green go on to a role with the, with the Suns. Like, that's not a head coaching job, but Steve Kerr wants to see, let's call them the baby birds leave the nest, right? Again, not mm -hmm. a dictatorship. He doesn't want to hold on to people. He wants to see them fly on their own and find their own opportunities. I think he models that after Greg Popovich. There's the Popovich coaching tree, um, yep. and maybe there can be the Steve Kerr coaching tree now. So, and I think that's just a healthy way of looking at things help guys get to their next opportunity, help them grow. And when it's their time, it's their time. So as much as I enjoy this coaching staff and what they have, I would imagine a few would at least have opportunities. We know that the Knicks mm -hmm. were interested in Mike Brown. We know that Jaron Collins' names is on that hot coaching list. Um, and that's what you get when you have the Warriors on your resume. So um, <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. one or two, maybe we'll see, or next year, or, you know, you just, you never know, but you always have to be ready for the opportunity. And I think even going through a season like this is something you would talk about in an interview. How do you handle tough times? Um, how do you persevere? And what do you want your team now, assistant coach becoming head coach, what do you want your team to look like? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And those names you said right there, Mike Brown, he's going to be a hot commodity at some point. And if Mike Brown goes somewhere, does he take some of the coaches with him? Right. Because they, he works closely or if yeah. Jaron Collins, who right now, if Mike Brown stays, Jaron can't get above into the associate head coach or head coach level anytime soon. Maybe he tries to go somewhere and get associate head coach or head coach. So yeah, it's, it's all positive stuff. We're saying, we're not saying like that person's fired. No, it's more like good things may come to a lot of these people, but that's one area that I don't think people have discussed enough about like the turnover. There might be some turnover going into the next season. Mm -hmm. Grant, may good things come to you. This was a really nice chat and I appreciate you. <laughs> Harith, what a tremendous thing to say. Why, thank You're you. Welcome. I hope you have the bestest of days. You're welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being the co-host on the Run and Plays podcast. We covered a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Thank you, Warriors Twitter, for being loyal listeners. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Gareth. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. 
Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.